We're not trying to get better. We are training to get better. Do yourself a favor and take your plan B and throw it in the trash can and light that shit on fire. You get one go with this. You can afford to accept nothing short of your own personal excellence. We are going to leave everyone and everything better than how we found them. Now let's get started. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of iConversations. You just get me, Coach Dan, today. This is a solo cast. Uh, No Coach Lisa with me today. And that is simply because I want this to just be a hot and ready take for you uh, to make it as quick and impactful and as effective as I can. I'm just going to be spitting straight facts about insulin sensitivity, how it applies to you and how we can optimize this. So my objective for today's podcast is just to give you something that's uh, quick and easy to digest and immediately apply to your daily training and nutrition execution so you can see the benefit right away. So I hope this helps. And if you're paying attention, I know it is going to. This is my insulin sensitivity crash course. So when we talk about insulin sensitivity, first, it should probably be said, you're going to hear me say insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance, and blood glucose just in ungodly amount of times over the next few minutes. There's no getting around it. I might say IS or IR to save a little bit of time there. But you're just, it's going to happen. Just prepare for it. Accept it. Let's move on. Uh, so when we're, we're talking about insulin sensitivity, what we're referring to is your body's ability to effectively partition nutrients, specifically glucose, to transport and store it as glycogen. Glucose is from your carbohydrates. Now, where is it going? Skeletal muscle is going to store the majority of your glycogen. Typically, it stores about 400 grams of muscle glycogen. But of course, this is going to be impacted by the size of the individual we're referring to. So for a 120-pound bikini competitor, it's going to be less than that. Your liver is going to store 90 to 100 grams of glycogen. And then and circulating throughout your blood all the time is about 25 grams as glucose for just immediate energy needs from the body. So when we're optimizing your IS, what we're going to see immediately impacted, first you'll notice better energy levels, you'll see an improvement in your training performance, greater pumps, faster recovery, you'll be able to maintain a leaner body composition, oftentimes you'll experience more cognitive ability, more clarity, mental clarity, acuity, all that wonderful stuff. And by remaining insulin sensitive, by keeping this in an ideal spot, you're also going to store less glucose as triglycerides, body fat, more into muscle, less stored for body fat. You can see why this subject needed covered today. Very impactful. At the opposite end of the spectrum of insulin sensitivity, you're going to have the term insulin resistance. This is indicative of an inefficiency to utilize or store the glucose. This means your pancreas is working overtime. It's secreting more and more insulin to get the job done, uh, which that increased insulin production is referred to as hyperinsulinemia. I'm not going to say that word multiple times because the likelihood of me butchering it increases greatly. Uh, So this state of increased insulin production, it's shown to lead to like high blood pressure, hardening of the arteries. Uh, When you have chronic insulin resistance, you're in a continual state of insulin resistance, 
it's a main feature of metabolic syndrome. So cardiovascular disease, stroke, type two diabetes, um, all products of not addressing chronic insulin resistance. So not just for your physique enhancement goals, not just to look and feel your best, but to improve your quality of life and live healthier. This is essential to understand and apply. So we know what it is. We know why it matters. I want to start talking about strategies we can implement to optimize this. So first, it'd be helpful if you know where your blood glucose levels are at. The most extensive way you can tech, check this most for the most complete in-depth answer, you would need to get lab work. And the labs you test for are your fasted blood glucose, your fasted insulin, and your A1C. I don't typically ask my athletes to do that, especially not straight out the gate, as we can typically get a good feel for where they're at with this by just doing your, your fasted blood glucose. And that can be done with a blood glucometer kit at home. You just prick your finger upon waking and then test the third drop of blood. And I say third because oftentimes there's some interstitial fluid and you won't get as accurate of a reading with those first one to two drops. Uh, but I'll have an athlete do that on check-in day and we'll measure the trend over time. This can be acutely affected. So one reading is not going to give you the whole picture. It can be impacted by your stress, by a poor night's sleep, by of course the food you ate last night, um, all sorts of different variables. And cortisol typically has an inverse relationship with your insulin sensitivity. So when you're in a state of elevated stress all the time, you're going to see that reflected oftentimes on a higher blood glucose score repeatedly over time. So a better stress response is also going to help this uh, improve. So we want this range. I mean, if we get in a perfect world, this range is going to be from 75 to 80 milligrams per deciliter. That'd be the reading on your glucometer. Uh, sub 100 is, is still good. So if you're in the 90s, you're not in a bad spot. Just know that we can likely improve it. And there's always going to be individual variants here. Uh, I'm not speaking in absolutes. We know better than that. Uh, but sub 100 is still good. Over 100, uh, we don't want to stay in that range. That's pre-diabetic range. Usually we see this as our sign to start cleaning things up, implementing some of these strategies I'll mention after this. Uh, this can be like your cautionary flag. So it's time to start making a few adjustments and, and just improving upon this. Uh, when I have an athlete in a prolonged build season, one of the ways we make sure we're keeping the build as clean and lean as possible uh, to keep you in optimal range for building lean tissue and not excess or unnecessary adipose gain is we're watching this blood glucose range. And I know that when we're pushing food for a really long time at a really um, high measures, they're just, their intake is just excessive. Uh, eventually, it's pretty common to see their insulin resistance start to diminish or insulin sensitivity, excuse me, start to diminish. And we'll see those. Uh, blood glucose values trend a little higher, a little higher. And that can be signs for us to implement some strategies, to start to lean out, to go into a mini cut, uh, what have you. The answer varies, but all the same, it's, it's, it's your sign to make an adjustment. So listen to that. First strategy we have for improving your IS. This is going to be a long-term strategy, but it's the most effective one in the big picture. And it is to build more muscle tissue. Lean muscle is inherently insulin sensitive. It's an expensive tissue to have. Not only does it increase your ability to consume calories, it increases your body's caloric demand, 
but it also having more muscle tissue also offers greater glycogen storage. So your body has more room to store more carbohydrate and it's more effective at doing so. So it's not something you'll change overnight, but working forward towards it, you should absolutely see the trend over time, improving your insulin sensitivity. Uh, a more acute strategy, one you can start implement right away and start to see a change is more movement. And I don't just mean cardio. This is specifically NEAT, which is actually much more impactful because it it's a greater picture of your activity levels all throughout the day rather than for a set 30 to 60 minutes of the day. So NEAT is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis for those didn't know the term, but it's essentially how much movement you're doing throughout the day. So if you're walking further in the parking lot, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, like find ways to get a little more movement or activity in. And it's a great way to positively impact your blood glucose. Now, and when an athlete gets sedentary, say they have a shift in their job, they're sitting a lot more. Uh, you'll see this not only in their blood glucose, but in their progression, usually the recovery is not as good. Uh, it, it will translate or you'll see it in biofeedback. But a great way, my favorite way to increase movement and improve your glucose values is a 10 minute postprandial walk. So right after you're done eating for as many meals throughout the day as you are able to get up and go for a low stress, light 10 minute walk. And I don't know who invented this method. I stand efforting is who I give credit to for the vertical diet because he's the one that introduced me to it. Uh, but time after time, this has been tested and proven to be so incredibly effective for postprandial glucose levels. So it helps with your digestion. It'll decrease feelings of bloat, decreases feelings of lethargy. You don't get that crash, that itis crash after carbohydrate intake. It's been shown in studies to be more effective than metformin or berberine, which we'll discuss both of later, um, at reducing postprandial glucose levels. So I uh, cannot stress enough the importance of that. And this is a low stress walk. This is designed to be ideally outside as nature will also release some endorphins, help to lower more cortisol. It's going to be deep nasal breathing, breathing through your nose, which is going to increase your nitric oxide production. It filters the air. Um, it's significantly more optimal for your health to breathe through your nose. But we're taking deep, slow breaths, longer exhales than inhales. That puts you in a more parasympathetic state. Rest and digest. That's the theme here. We don't want stress. We don't want heart rate to be up. We really want to be putting your body in an ideal state where it can just relax and focus on digest digestion. Next strategy, proper food source selection. So here I mean, implement whole foods, single ingredient foods as best as you can. The majority of your foods and calorie intake should be from those. We do not want hyper palatable, highly processed foods for a whole lot of reasons. One, uh, they can wreak havoc, increase your systemic inflammation, wreck your gut health, which will affect every other facet of your health. Uh, but in this case too, they're often higher glycemic. They create more insulin spikes and crashes where your energy levels will crash. They are designed to make you hungrier. These are lab made foods when they're packaged, processed. They are designed not for satiety, but the opposite effect to make you want to eat more and more and more. What a, a tricky product to sell because uh, they know exactly what they're doing. So we really want foods that are going to be uh, more nourishing, more nutrient dense, uh, more satiating. It also, food selection is such an individual tip as well because so many people 
have unique responses to foods that everybody would normally consider to be safe or healthy. Like a common one would be like potatoes, great source of your potassium, mineral dense. A lot of people don't have a favorable response to potatoes. And you can see this oftentimes in their blood glucose values an hour and a half to two hours after the meal when they're still elevated. So watch after specific food sources, I'll often have athletes check so we can kind of narrow down where their optimal sources are. Like rice is a pretty safe one for 90% of people, uh, 90% of my athletes, at least in my experience. But there are some tricky sources, like I've even seen avocado create an unfavorable response in blood glucose. Uh, so it's very individualized, but work with your coach and you have the tools and, and the power to identify your optimal sources going off more than just how you feel, but that is a metric you're going to be paying attention to. Okay. Another strategy, nutrient timing. So this, I like to tell my athletes to time the majority of their carbs peri-workout. So we're going to have a heavy bolus of carbohydrates in their pre-workout meal. Typically you want to have this an hour and a half to two hours, uh, depending on how fast you digest before your workout, not immediately before your workout as we don't want that food just sitting in the gut and your body's trying to digest that all while you're also working out and, uh, creating that, that metabolic stress. You're going to be getting inflicting signals to the body and you're going to be getting a less than optimal performance for both areas. But pre-workout meal, an hour and a half before your training. Um, and then I like to introduce some carbohydrates during training as well for, for many athletes, especially if they're training hard and I know intensity is where it needs to be. Uh, then there are some really interesting studies around per or intra-workout carbohydrate intake just to give you an example of one. Um, so they had one, two groups, a control, two groups, one's controlled ingesting intra carbohydrates. The other one's, the other one didn't, they're both in a deficit, uh, same amount of carbohydrates throughout the day, but one is taking a small percentage of those and having them intra workout. The carb intra group lost the same amount of body fat as the no intra group did, but they also had more positive muscular training adaptation. That means they're still sending the signal for growing muscle or in the case of a deficit retaining muscle, they're going to hold on to more muscle than the group that didn't have the intra-workout carbohydrates. So that alone is pretty powerful testimony to it. Um, but now there's a caveat to this. I don't want athletes to just eat Sour Patch Kids or sugary carbs during their training as uh, we're still, there's a, we can do it better. I want you to drink carbohydrates high glycemic carbohydrates into workout. That way you can bypass many of the digestion processes. So my favorite is like uh, cyclic cluster dextrin, which has a more ideal molecular weight, bypasses digestion. It's almost immediately absorbed for muscle glycogen. That is much faster process, much easier for the body to do because while you're in the high stress environment of training, you really don't want to put as much demand as chewing and processing and masticating food and breaking that down and finding the usable glucose within it. So liquid sources, I even have athletes do Gatorade every once in a while. Um, it's what, what you feel best off of is what's most important, but uh, a liquid is going to beat a solid here 10 times out of 10. Uh, also, a little bit on the, the subject of nutrient timing, uh, your last meal of the day should be lower glycemic. This is another one that will immediately show an improvement in your blood glucose values. A low glycemic dinner, by that I mean uh, one lower carbohydrate total, more fat, more protein, 
uh, but also just be more fibrous source carbohydrates. Uh, athletes that have a lower glycemic dinner not only show a better blood glucose score in the morning when fasted, but they also have a better response to the meal one their next day. So they can begin their uh, carbohydrates that aren't necessarily low glycemic with meal one and still have a better response to it. Less likely to crash, better digestion, uh, better energy levels off of it sustained throughout till the next meal. Uh, all of these are going to translate ultimately to a better performance in your training, which is the, the objective here. So to optimize there, we're taking steps all throughout the day, getting this right. So yes, lower glycemic dinner. Um, that's the final strategy I had for, uh, for you guys today, because I wanted to get into supplements and I'm intentional with my order here. First, you want to introduce these lifestyle adjustments before you start throwing supplements at the issue. It's always going to be your actions, your habits have the greatest outcome on it or greatest impact on it. Supplements help support the actions you're taking. So not to lecture on the, the importance of supplements, but we oftentimes inflate what they're going to do for us. Uh, they are just going to support your current behavior, behavioral patterns. So get those right first. Now, my favorite supplements to support your insulin sensitivity. And I have a good majority of my athletes, especially around this time when a big majority of the team is in a lean build phase. I'm a big fan of keeping uh, blood glucose supplements in their rotation to optimize this area, optimize their digestion, their performance. But again, so we can gain more muscle and less fat during this time. Uh, most of my athletes, I have take glucose from revive and it's not because I'm a revive sponsored athlete. This is a product that I've been taking for years beforehand because revive is, uh, always uses clinically, clinically effective doses. They have their third party testing. They're just as legitimate and high integrity of a supplement company as I could find. Uh, so that's why I wanted to align with them after years of testing their products. Uh, so glucose is my favorite one from revive. Uh, there are some other good ones. Uh, you just check for some of these ingredients that I'll be listing off, um, shortly. My first favorite ingredient to have in a glucose supplement is going to be berberine. And there are some really awesome studies around berberine. Um, it reduced, it reduces lipid accumulation in adipose sites. So it helps to steer carbohydrates and lipids away from fat cells. Where are they, those going to go? Ding, ding, ding. Muscle tissue. We're getting more glycogen storage. So more fuel to the right places, less to fat. That's exactly what you want out of a glucose agent. The ideal dose for berberine is 1.5 to 2 grams per day, and I'll split those up and take them with carb-containing meals, but your total dose at the end of the day is what matters. So if you miss a couple meals, uh, doses with a couple meals, take them with the next one, double up, uh, just work to get your 1.5 grams in daily or 2 grams, whatever your uh, current assigned protocol is. Uh, that's also the primary ingredient in glucose by Revive. Another reason I love that product. Uh, another supplement to support this. This one's a little more expensive. You don't see this in a ton of supplements, uh, but it's N-A-R-A-L-A, that form of alpha lipoic acid, N-A-R-A-L-A. This activates your AMPK, which all the benefits of boosting your cellular metabolism you get from training, that's what it's triggering without the exercise in this case. So you're getting the benefits of training without yet training. Some of the benefits I should, I should specify. 
Uh, now, because you're not taking this as a shortcut, but to support your current training and nutrition habits, it's going to exemplify the benefits you're getting from your training. It also is another one that's going to reduce triglyceride storage. Uh, so less fat storage, more muscle. The dosing for NAR, ALA, is going to be 100 to 200 milligrams per carb-containing meal. Another one I'm a big fan of is chromium polynicotinate. And it, the polynicotinate form is a little more rare because it's a little more expensive, but it is superior to the picolinate form because picolinate is, has an acidic base. Uh, so it's polynicotinate is just safer for you. Uh, the dose for chromium is going to be 400 milligrams per day. There are some really interesting studies on chromium. Uh, some that have shown like really radical uh, decreases in body fat percentage while retaining and even gaining muscle tissue. Uh, the one that comes to mind is in trained athletes. It was like 6% reduction in body fat, which is just stellar. Uh, but I've never seen anything like that in my own personal experience. Uh, I like the supplement. I believe it's effective. I don't think I'm going to see any athletes just introduce this and see a massive drop in body fat percentage. Um, but there's legitimacy to the supplement all the same. Uh, and then another one I could not make a insulin sensitivity podcast around without mentioning is metformin. Now, typically... Um, I like metformin for certain athletes and it, metformin's also been shown to be a really powerful longevity drug. So it's, it's great for just overall health and wellness. Um, it does activate your AMPK similar to the NAR ALA. Um, with metformin, you have to be a little more careful with your dosing because there's carb wasting effect in the stomach. So if you exceed your ideal dose, uh, oftentimes you'll have a hard time getting a pump. The athlete will look flat, maybe a little watery. Uh, it's just less than optimal use for the carbohydrates consumed because of that wasting. So my fate, my typical dose is 500 to a thousand milligrams per day. Uh, once you start exceeding that, you'll usually can see the difference and they'll feel the difference in their pump and training too. Uh, but metformin also can be helpful for resetting your gut microbiome. So oftentimes if I have an athlete that's in a state of dysfunction with their gut health, uh, this is like one of the weapons we can lean on to help put them in a better state uh, as long as alongside some like food source elimination, because we have to identify and eliminate the aggravator here. The, the cause of the issue too. can't just slap a bandaid on it. Uh, so those are my ideal supplements for it. Um, cinnamon is another popular one. You're going to see in a lot of glucose agents. It's effective as well. Uh, vanadyl sulfate. It's not as in, in as many now. It's a little more of an old school one. Uh, but it's a mineral that a lot of bodybuilders used to use for like muscle hardening effect. Um, and I do think it has some legitimacy to helping with your insulin sensitivity. It's just with minerals, you've got to be careful because if you're exceeding the recommended daily value, uh, there can be some toxic properties. So pick your poison there. Um, I think if you just introduce the berberine in a full dose, uh, you're going to notice a difference from just that. But berberine is hard to find, and a lot of companies will include some berberine in their products, but not at all in an effective dose because they are aware of how expensive it is. So they want it to be on the label, and they try to take advantage of people not knowing how much you need. Uh, so if you decide to get it from Revive, go to revivesups.com, use the code ITSBATDAN, I-T-S-B-A-T-D-A-N. You'll save money on that. You'll support me. You'll forever have my gratitude. Uh, always appreciate any support we could get. Uh, and that goes for this podcast as well. So if you found this valuable, please share it with friends, anybody you think it may benefit, uh, like it, review it, rate it, send me your feedback. I'm always open to it. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to keep doing this. So I look forward to talking to you guys next week. 
Um, as always, reach out if there's any additional information you need on this. Uh, we try to stay pretty open and available, easy to get a hold of for that reason. So have a powerful week, guys. I will talk to you next week. We'll see you later.